Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy online invoicing app for small businesses that saves time and gets you paid faster. Join over 3.5 million FreshBooks users and try the service for free for 30 days of unlimited use. Just go to FreshBooks.com. Dot com And be sure to tell them that you heard about it on TWIP. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog for a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts. Just go to Squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP5 and get free domain registration with annual plan subscriptions. <laughs> This week on TWIP, a deep dive discussion on the psychology and mindset behind photography. Plus, Canon and Nikon issue fixes, the BlackBerry time machine, Olympus gets rugged, and an interview with Playboy and celebrity photographers Artie Freytag and Yarmo Poajemi. It's Wednesday, May 9th, 2012, and this is TWIP. Welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today, along with a news roundup, I'm joined by Derek Story and Mr. Bruce Clark to talk about the psychology of photography. So, yeah, so we have a, a topical-based This Week in Photo today. So, first off, welcome, guys. How are you guys doing? Doing fantastic. Doing fantastic. Hey, Derek, you were you were on that tray hangout. What was that? It, it was. was Night Before Last, right? It was. It I was, was supposed to be wild. in there, and I had, computer, <laughs> <laughs> I had computer issues. So if anybody was expecting me to be in there, uh, sorry about that to everybody and Trey. But uh, you I were had there. Some, and I had some issues. Worked. It was so sad. I had some issues. I showed up, and then you know, it was, I was getting like feedback from my crazy spider web spaghetti nest of wires here into the hangout. So Nicole <laughs> muted me. I didn't even know she muted me. So I was like. So while I troubleshot the issue, I dropped out. So anyway, sorry about that. And it's then, bad when you get muted by the other guests. That is bad. <laughs> I know. And Nicole didn't even say anything. She was just like, mute. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you're out. I'll explain to them later. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And also down there, uh, for those folks in the Hangout, there's Mr. Bruce Clark hanging out with us, coming to us from, you're in Alberta, right, Bruce? I am, yes. I'm sorry, Edmonton? Edmonton, Edmonton, yes. Sunny Alberta, where the sun has finally arrived and spring is here, thankfully. Very cool. Snow is gone, the grass is turning green, it's all good. And for those folks that may not be familiar with you, Bruce, you're you're a wedding shooter and portrait guy and all that magic, right? Yeah, wedding, been doing doing a bit more commercial work actually in the last year or oh. so as well. So kind of mixing that in, particularly in the winter when it's cold and weddings aren't really taking place here in Edmonton. It's uh, you know swinging into more commercial work then. So very cool. All Good. right, well welcome, welcome, welcome. You're I'm no also- Conan. I'm no Conan O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Conan and I go way back. You know, so he he knows my name now, right? Um, anyway, uh, before we jump into the show, guys, I want to give a thank you to our sponsor. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks. And like we've been saying, if you are in the business 
of doing business for yourself. If you're a photographer that makes money, you have clients, you have, you're doing commercial stuff like Bruce, any of that stuff. One thing that we all love doing besides taking photos is getting paid. But the issue is the time it takes to create invoices, deal with the paperwork, chase down people, beg for your money while you're still trying to be creative on the photography side can be a pain. So FreshBooks is a service that was created to take the pain out of that. They've been around since 2004. And basically what they do is online invoicing. And their main goal is to save you time and help you get paid faster. So with them, you can you can create invoices with a couple clicks. You can email them to your clients so they can get it and pay it directly through their credit card or through PayPal or whatever, um, which is really cool. You can turn in timesheets. You can make timesheets instantly into invoices so that you're punching your time into FreshBooks and it automatically generates reports and invoices and all that stuff. So it just basically takes all the pain out of this stuff. And I, I actually... I've been using them, I don't know, geez, for about a year now. The cool thing that I love about FreshBooks is the automated invoicing piece of it. So if you have a client that, say you're a retainer for, or you know, you just get paid the same amount every week from them. Maybe you got a lawn mowing business and they, your clients pay you the same amount every week. You can use a service like FreshBooks. Or you can use FreshBooks to set them up on a reoccurring schedule so that every month at, say, the 25th, an invoice gets fired off to them for X amount of dollars, and it, all, it even reminds them if they don't pay before a certain time that, hey, if you don't pay by this date, service fees will incur, yada, yada, yada. So it takes all that pain out of it. You're, you remain the photographer, and you let the computer or FreshBooks go hunt down your money. So it's really cool. Um, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of them. They've got 3.5 million users right now, and everybody's you know so far everybody's happy so you can try them free at freshbooks.com you can get a 30-day unlimited use trial all the features client staff everything with no limits just sign up at freshbooks.com and i'd like to personally thank them for supporting this week in photo all right gents uh before we dive in i want to take a moment to just do a quick recap of what happened this week in photography first up Both Canon and Nikon have released fixes and or workarounds for issues affecting their new flagship camera bodies. On the the Canon side, rather, the light leak issues with the 5D Mark III and in the Nikon camp, some folks are plagued with D4 and D800 bodies that seem to lock up for no apparent reason. So in the blog post for this episode, we'll have direct links to the fixes that each of the companies have posted. Also, Nikon has issued a battery recall this week that's affecting some users of the D7000, me, and D800 lot numbers. So specific lot numbers for each of those camera bodies, the batteries may be affected. And also, you know, for for everything that I'm saying, we're going to have links over for the folks that need to that might be affected. Just check the show notes for this episode. Also in the news this week at a recent BlackBerry conference, a new camera feature was revealed that will allow photographers to go back in time and capture photos they may have missed. RIM has confirmed that they've licensed technology from Scalado, a company that we discussed on TWIP a few months ago. Essentially, what this technology is, is that the camera will begin recording images from the moment that the app or the camera app is loaded rather than when the shutter is pressed. So 
It's pretty interesting. I mean, you know, you can you can imagine all kinds of issues and and great things about that. And then There's finally, be some divorces there. <laughs> some I tell divorces. You. <laughs> I didn't know that camera was recording, honey. Um, and then finally, this week, Olympus unveiled the new TG1 IHS ultra rugged camera. And some key features of that include it's got a 12 megapixel sensor with a 25. It comes with a 25 to 100 millimeter f2.0 lens. Um, it's waterproof to 40 feet. It's drop proof to 6.6 feet. Uh, it's crush proof to 220 pounds. Um, so you can sit on it if you weigh less than 220 pounds. And it's freeze proof down to 14 degrees. And it's going to be $399. And it's due to hit the streets sometime in July. And quickly, that's what happened this week in photo. So, guys, what do you say about that? Derek, are you going to run out and, and get this rim camera? Or is, it, is, is this going to be in your camera bag or your go-away bag? No, for so many reasons. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> why, why not? Well, because, first of all, uh, this, by the way, this, is, this isn't brand new. It might be brand new in a camera phone, but actually, uh, I believe Casio. Uh, has had uh, this feature uh, in their compact cameras. I remember a few years ago uh, where uh, it, actually as soon as you would go into movie mode that it would start recording and then you could go backwards in case you missed, uh, missed a shot sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of been around. It's, it's nice. But, you know, here's the thing. Uh, with all of this stuff, you know, you know, I have the iPhone 4S. I love it. And it, was, it would take something more than that. To uh, get me to, to try a different device, right? It's going to take a bigger carrot than that. What about what about yeah, you? Bruce? Yeah, yeah. I'm you know I'm a iPhone 4s guy. I had to use my wife's BlackBerry the other day, and I, just, I was like, "How do you use this thing? I can just bang rocks <laughs> together." I I just had a really hard time. I just found just the interface. Everything in the interface was really kludgy, and nothing really was very intuitive. So they'd have to make some drastic changes. But you know, there are a lot of BlackBerry users out there. Um, who are very loyal and very faithful to their BlackBerry. So, you know, they might, I don't know, I question whether BlackBerry needs to just focus on the business side and whether a camera is is that critical to the business users. I think for them it's email and texting hmm. and it being a phone. I don't know that camera is a big deal for, for a lot of them, yeah. but... But yeah, the camera, yeah, cam- I mean, you gotta, you gotta, I mean, can you imagine the bright light of all these people that are, they're you know falling in love with cameras and all these different services like Instagram and Google Plus and everybody that's you know building all this stuff around cameras. Can you imagine the suits sitting in the in the room like, okay, what can we do to remain relevant? Uh, mm-hmm. Camera, camera. <laughs> right. yeah. Well, they also announced at that BlackBerry conference that they were going to give developers uh, guarantee them ten thousand dollars, but they had to sell something like a thousand dollars of an app first. But they would guarantee them ten thousand dollars to try to entice more developers too, which could mean more apps and more things like Instagram. So wow, that'd be interesting to see. But yeah, I mean, you know, bravo for them to, to for thinking outside the box and trying to do what they can to stay relevant. It's awesome, and yeah. you know, the ultimate winners are us, right? So people that mm-hmm. that buy this stuff, we can we can sit around and play armchair quarterback all day long, and you know, talk about their mistakes and wins, and it doesn't really affect us. But they're the ones that are in the trenches that are trying to stay relevant. So, yep, yeah. bravo, bravo to those guys. So, um, you guys, have any other comments on the news before we jump into our feature discussion? Well, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Olympus. Were we going to get to that later? or Yeah, I yeah just, we can talk yeah, about yeah. it right now. So the Olympus TG1 IHS, the ultra-rugged camera. So, Derek, 
I love that name, the Ultra Raymute. It's like the camera that Ultraman would carry, right? Yeah. I mean, these cameras are fun, uh, you know, and they've been around for a while, but this is the first one that I think – the biggest problem with the Olympus versions uh, before the, the Tufts was that they didn't take very good pictures, So, you know, which is always kind of a bugaboo when it's a That's camera. a problem for a camera, yeah, right? Yeah, sort of a you – know, I mean, you can you could do all these things, but the, the pictures weren't that great. So I think what they've done on this one, and I haven't had a chance to test it yet, uh, since I get my hands on one, I'll know for sure, is that they really have addressed the, the, the picture quality of it, and I think they've also addressed the, the looks of it. I mean, I mean, it's a nicer looking camera, and uh, then it has accessory lenses that are all you know weatherproof and can take them underwater and all that good stuff mm-hmm. so this looks like uh this 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 might be it coming of age here we we this might be the day where we all say hey those uh, those olympus tufts have uh, have gone over the gone over the hill there you think so so, I, you, so, yeah, you, I, I so what you're saying is you're gonna you endorse I'm this optimistic. camera and you're gonna buy it no 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 i'm gonna <laughs> test it I'm going to test it. <laughs> you endorse testing this camera. <laughs> I endorse testing this camera. Well, I have the luxury, as you know, of testing things. And then if I like them, then, then I can use my own money. Yes. Because then you got to send them back and all that stuff. But but I, I, I am looking forward to testing this one. And if I do buy it, then um, I will tell the world, yes. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I what about you, Bruce? I, 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 uh, I look at this, this kind of stuff, and I still go back to, do I really want another camera? Because... Do I really want to, even if it's cool, even if I'm traveling to Madagascar and, you know, I'm going to be putting this camera through all kinds of stuff, would mm-hmm. I buy, like, a really good bag or a, or some kind of housing for my existing cameras or would I just, would I need a brand new different camera, especially on a different operating system or a different manufacturer? Would you, would you Bruce, if you were, even if you are traveling somewhere? You know, I... I looked at the specs on this camera, and it really it intrigued me. I liked that it had the interchangeable lenses. Um, I liked the ruggedness of it. And I could see it being a really good travel camera for sure. But, you know, I thought that. I also bought the Fuji X100 thinking I would use that as my smaller, lighter, portable camera. Yeah. And I find it sits on the shelf, sadly, and I either use my iPhone or I take my Mark III or my Mark II out with me. So mm-hmm. I find that even though I've bought a smaller camera for that exact purpose, I don't use it yeah so i don't know it's the specs on this definitely are intriguing but i, I just based on my own usage pattern and history i probably wouldn't because it would probably just sit but that that x100 desk. looks so nice on the shelf doesn't it <laughs> It looks very pretty to all my other old cameras it's, yeah, it's a handsome so. camera i don't know derek you know the, one of the issues that i that i hit is i went and i know you've done this a million times probably because you you're affiliated with the low pro folks over there they make the camera bags but i went through the exercise of Taking everything out of all my camera bags, laying it out on the floor, taking all my camera bags and putting them there so that I could like take take stock of what I owned and you know yeah. build the ultimate yeah. bag and all this yeah. stuff, which you're going to be talking about in one of the one of our upcoming meetups. But how to pack a killer camera bag? Yeah, which is going to be so great. Cool. So I tried to pack a killer camera camera bag and it killed me. So my stuff is still yeah. <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> I haven't figured it out yet because yeah. I don't. I don't think there is. I don't think there's such a thing as a killer camera bag because it, it depends on what you're doing. Uh, right? You will find out that there is. Well, I, be, before we before we leave the tough, and we probably should now. But uh, I'll just say that you know I'm. I, I love snorkeling, and I got a couple of warm water trips this summer, and just having a camera that I can just jump in the water with and shoot, you know, reefs. It, you know, 
eight, nine, ten feet. Yeah, sounds kind of fun. Instead of, I hate I hate housings myself. I got a couple of them. They drive me dingo. Uh, for one thing, I think I, I never trust them. I always think they're going to leak. You know, <laughs> did I get the gasket right? You know, you're thinking about this eight feet underwater. You know, is that gas? Is that a? Is that a? drop of water i see in there mm-hmm. so anyway so we'll see we'll see i'll i'll report back though i promise all right all right cool. one way or another all right guys well let's let's move on to our feature discussion uh today i wanted to point both of your brains and mine to the topic of the psychology of photography specifically around mindset you know so and people say mindset you know that's sort of an ethereal kind of frame you know or phrase mindset what does that mean but in specific, or specific, what I, specifically what I want to talk about is, you know, first of all, like say you're going on a photo walk, you know, Derek, you've led photo walks, Bruce, you've been on photo walks, all this stuff. So, what mindset should people be in when they decide they're going to go hang out with Trey Radcliffe or, you know, Thomas Hawk or somebody on one of these these really popular photo walks? What should they be thinking when they, before they leave the house? Should it be I need to bring every piece of gear that I own just in case, you know, uh, you know, Obama's motorcade drives by and I need to get the shot <laughs> or or should they bring just one camera? I don't know. Let me throw it to you first, Bruce. What do you think? What you're, yeah. you're going on a photo walk. What do they need to think about? Yeah, I've led the for the last couple of years. I've led the Scott Kelby uh, photo walk. And what I found that really helped me on those and, and I tried to encourage people that were coming because the first, you know, First year I did it, people showed up with tripods and flashes and, you know, large camera bags and rolling bags and <laughs> yeah. everything. And they didn't really, they got so bogged down with all this stuff that they didn't really get to enjoy the photo walk <laughs> and enjoy going out and seeing, actually seeing things. You get so caught up in the gear, sometimes you don't really take a moment to look around and see what you're actually going to shoot. So what I find in terms of a photo walk is I usually think about a particular subject matter that I want to focus on in a photo walk. Obviously, it depends on the area you're going to in the location but uh, this last year for example i went uh with just one camera body and i brought my 100 millimeter macro lens and i decided i was going to focus exclusively on shooting details of things Hmm. and that was my mindset going into the photo walk and so i was looking for details as i was walking around and seeing how could i capture the same thing that everybody else is going to be capturing but then focusing in on the very small details. And we, were, we, we went to our local university here, which is a huge, sprawling campus and full of you know, beautiful architecture and landscapes and things. And I went into it really looking at the macro world because you would look at the bigger picture in a place like that typically. And uh, you know, I was really happy with some of the images that I came back with. So I think having a goal in mind before something like that, uh, going into it really helps. And then just stripping down to the basic you know, basic gear that you need with you and not, you know, being too worried laden. about trying to Yeah, laden with a bunch of gear. It's not like you're, you're crossing the desert, you know. Uh, so, Derek, what about you? Should, do you agree with Bruce? Should photographers strip down and focus, or should they just have the backpack of everything under the sun just in case something interesting happens? By stripping down, you're talking about gear. Gear, come yes. on, yes, it's yes, a family yes, show. Yes, come on, yes, yes. <laughs> so, um, yeah, go light. Definitely go light. Shoulder bag, uh, you know, just light the backpack. You know, even a single uh, lens, zoom lens, that kind of thing. Definitely go light. Um, I, I think it's helpful if the leader of the photo walk establishes a theme. Before you start, I like to have like a little fireside chat and say, hey, you know, so we're going to be going here and there. 
and uh, some things to look out for. And maybe this would be a good time to, you know, work on old architecture. This would be a good time to, you know, like uh, Bruce said, focus on macro stuff or, or whatever. But, you know, have a little theme established so that you have your, your filters on, your visual filters on, looking for something specific. And then the other thing, I think, is in, enjoy the photo walk itself because, if you really want serious, serious photography, you're probably going to have to go shoot by yourself or, you know, with just a photo buddy. So part of this is the experience of seeing what other people are talking about, seeing what they're shooting. Uh, a lot of times you might not come away with your best shots from a photo walk, but it's a, it's a social experience that you may get other things out of. So I think just be open to that. Don't be, um, you know, don't be too laser focused, or you might not be a lot of fun. Yeah, <laughs> to hang yeah. Out with you. yeah, I totally find agree yourself that. by your, a. Uh, that's all right. Let's just move on. Derek is, um, you know, obsessed on that, you know, rusty <laughs> nail over there. Yeah, yeah. I think you know the. I would add to that. I totally agree with both of you guys, and I would add to that. Um, a yes, be focused, um, but B. Like Derek, you're saying, don't be myopic in that. If something like if you're saying you're like Derek, you're you're taking photos of rusty nails, totally oblivious of the rocket ship that landed, you know, 20 feet from you over there because and you can't shoot the rocket ship because you want to get the perfect lighting on this rusty nail. So, exactly. I, you you have a a focus, you know, and a a specific sort of idea of the kind of shots that you want to get. Um, and you do that, but then if something else catches your eye, you can go sort of branch off on a tangent and do some stuff over there too, but then come back to your main idea, right? Yeah, and, and you know, and chat it up along the way. You know, sh- you know, share what you're seeing and ask, hey, if you see someone taking a shot, go, hey, what are you looking at? You know, is that that looks interesting over there. I mean, it, you know, keep the social part of it alive too, because I mean, that, I think that's a a big part of the enjoyment. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Bruce? Do you think the social piece of photo walks is important or should people just, you know, hey, leave me alone. I'm trying to get a picture of my rusty nail. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's the whole, the whole point of going out on a photo walk with a, with a group of people, right, is, is the social component of it. So, yeah, I totally agree with Derek and that you can't become too myopic and just focus on, you know, getting that rusty nail and not interacting with the people that are around you. Or you may as well just go out by yourself and, and you know, not participate in a photo walk. So, I mean, the whole point of it, I think, is... So the social aspect and learning from other people too, and sharing tips and ideas and, and tricks and techniques and, and really, that's what an opportunity of a photo walk is for: is to sort of get that creativity from other people and get the, maybe the technical help. Maybe if you're a less experienced photographer, you can go with somebody who's maybe yeah. a bit more experienced and and learn as well. It can Absolutely. be a teaching or a learning a learning experience as well. So. Yeah, and, and you know, and, and shots do happen. I mean, uh, actually, one of the pictures on the wall downstairs in my studio here came from a photo walk, and you know, and so uh, I was just there. It was great. It was Washington D.C. photo walk, and uh, you know, a shot appeared. So stuff does happen, you know. So don't you know, you are going to come away with shots too. So guys, what what about landscapes and and getting in the zone? So we we've, we've talked about like photo walks and group sort of social experiences and traveling light and having a focus, you know, being single-minded when you go out there. But what about when, you know, say, Derek, you know, I'll throw this to you first. Say you're going to to Yosemite. You're going to shoot El Capitan, right? You have a specific shot that you want to get in mind. How do you prepare for that? How do you get your mind in the right zone so that, you know, you're going to come back home on that long drive back to Santa Rosa feeling like you got something good on your compact flash card? 
Well, you're right. Landscape is is a whole different uh, animal for sure. I think a lot of when you're working out in the environment and you're away from 7-Eleven and all that sort of stuff, <laughs> I think you just have to be physically prepared. Uh, make sure that you have things like hat and sunblock and or if it's cold, you know, gloves and, you know, all the stuff that you need to physically be okay. Uh, water is always uh, a big one uh, because I think that, if you're going to fall into the zone, which is what we want to do when we're out shooting landscape, we want to get into that place where our vision suddenly becomes expanded and we start seeing shots yep. that we wouldn't normally see. You've got to be able to do that by, you know, be physically being okay. And then I think after that, um, yes, go shoot what you're going to shoot. Uh, look at what other photographers have done. Uh, I mean, I like to do that. Some people don't. They feel like it taints their vision. It, it doesn't hurt me. Uh, you know, get a feel for it. Uh, plan on sp- spending some time in the environment. But all that being said, that once you're there, don't spend three days shooting the same rock. Uh, you know, yeah. look around you, uh, explore while you're there. Chances are very good that your favorite shot from that shoot that you planned will be something other than what you planned. Uh, just because things happen and you just want to be open to that. So, yeah, get your shot of El Capitan, but be open to everything else that can happen around you. Bruce, you have anything to add to that on the landscape side of things? Yeah, I mean, I don't do a lot of landscape photography myself. Um, I enjoy it when I do get a chance to do it, but I don't go out and do a lot of it. But certainly if you're going to a certain, you know, particularly a certain iconic location that you want to photograph that's been photographed a million bazillion times, you're going to see amazing photos out there that have probably taken that photographer months or maybe years to get that exact shot to get the right combination of perfect light and perfect timing, time of day, right environmental conditions. So don't expect that you're necessarily going to be able to go out there at that exact same time and get that exact same shot and beat yourself up over it. Um, but certainly for landscape photography, you want to look at, you know, sunrise, sunset. Um, you want to factor in, you know, look at the time. You got to do some pre-planning, of course, if there's a very specific shot that you're trying to go for. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a little bit more patience and timing involved when you're doing landscape photography, is for sure. Um, so definitely that, that mindset has to be of preparation and planning and yeah. patience. Yeah. And, there, and there's a lot of shots, um, you know, and that's the whole thing about landscapes, the earth hasn't changed a whole lot over the last couple million years. So, you know, there's there's lots of photographs out there for you to get inspired by. So you can do your research and say, you know what, I want a shot of El Capitan, but I'm going to do it better. I'm going to do it this way. And you can you can have some things in mind when you get out there so that when you're shooting and you're doing your planning and you're scouting and you're varying whatever your, you know, your theme, you can have something in the back of your mind about, okay, this is kind of what I want to get. This is This is the shot I'm going for. So Derek, do you, do you do that when you're when you're out there? Do you have like do you research and look at others' work to get inspired, or do you say, you know what, I don't want to be tainted by what everybody else did. I'm going to go out here with a blank canvas. No, no, I, I look at other stuff. I even go so far as one of my tricks is when I go to a new area, not necessarily Yosemite, but any new area, I I go to the local you know uh, stores and see what the postcards are and you know all that kind of stuff. I mean, I really just try to get a, a feel for the for the environment and uh you know back to what i was saying earlier you know make sure that you have food and stuff with you because 
you don't want to leave a shot any earlier than you absolutely have to because you haven't eaten all day or because you ran out of water or because you don't have a jacket. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, be be ready to stay. You, the, the shot, you may plan on getting a sunset shot, and um, suddenly, you know, the moon, a full moon is coming up, you know, over over the, the hill there, and suddenly you have a whole different shot. But if you have to go home or go back to the hotel or your camp at that point, then, you know, you may miss a, a even more fantastic shot than you even envisioned. Yeah. All right, guys, the last thing that I want to talk about is, is the idea of beginning with the end in mind. Um, and I want to see where both of you guys fall on this. And, Bruce, I know, I mean, when you, when you shoot weddings, I know you're moving more into commercial stuff now as well, but when you're shooting weddings, I think by definition you're beginning with the end in mind because the end is an album and you're shooting to fill that album. Um, but I want to talk about how that, how that plays into your photography. So when you're out... Say, say it's a wedding. Let's take a wedding, for example. Say you're out at a wedding, and you've already consulted with the bride and groom. You know what their price level is. You know what book they're buying. You know how many pages are in that book. How does that specifically affect the type of shots that you're doing? Well, with, with weddings, for sure, we're always trying to tell the story of, of the day. And by knowing what the end result you know what the end product is that we're going to be delivering be it an album or 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 a book or something that we're putting together in the end we're going to be telling the story so in in my mind i'm always thinking when i'm shooting say details let's say it's the the girls getting ready in the morning and i'm photographing you know them getting their hair done and things i'm also looking for other details of that scene that are going to fill in and tell the story on that page i'm always thinking in in terms of spreads it's almost like a movie storyboarding and I'm thinking, how am I going to fill in these other spaces? So it might be a close-up shot of the makeup. Yeah. <clears throat> or it might be if they had you know, some nice drinks that they were enjoying that morning, I might shoot those. So I'm always thinking for, in terms of the spread. And then how can I capture not only the, what's happening in the moment, but also what's happening in the environment. Or you know, even, for example, the reception. I might may say it's a really nice outdoor reception. Um, and they're having it at a really beautiful location. I might step back and do some almost some landscape photography where I'm capturing the scene of where they're getting married. And that might end up in the album. It might not, but it might just be a simple backdrop to you know a main spread in the album or something like that. So I'm always thinking about how can I use this potentially in an album. So definitely the end game always drives a lot of what we do in, in the wedding photography. So with, we with one, one follow-up question on that. With wedding photography, after you've done, say, I don't know, say 300 weddings, right? At one point, do you hit a level where you're like, okay, I can do this with one hand with my eyes closed, you know, and I I know what's going to happen. Okay, now it's time for the kiss. It's the ring. It's the bouquet toss, all that stuff. Or conversely, is every wedding completely different and you need to be on your toes? So how how does that work? It's probably a bit of both. I mean, every wedding definitely is different. There's always some aspect of the day that's, that's unique, and it's always about the couple. Right, and everybody, every couple is going to be different, and how they interact with you, and how you interact with them, and how they interact with each other, is is going to be different every single time because you're you're dealing with personalities and yeah. people, and so that that's always going to be you know different. Um, in terms of, I guess, some of the elements of a wedding, I guess yes, there is some predictability and some uh, consistency there, and that you have the the first kiss and you have the exchange of the rings. You sure. know, again, if we're talking about a, a Western wedding, obviously, if we do. Um, different types of wedding like we shot an indian wedding uh, in december that was m- much different and of course we were those last like days right 
their days, and there's so much intricate detail that goes on. But for us, it was very exciting because it's very it was very different yeah. from the normal. But um, yeah, and, I mean, the, and the Bruce Clark way is your your first Indian wedding. You didn't just shoot. Indians in Canada or the United States, you had to go over to India. Right? I had to go to India, and yeah, it's like when I scuba dove for the first time, my first open water dive, yeah. Great Barrier Reef. Of course, of course, yeah, of course. You know, nice. go big or go home. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right, all right hey, Derek, let me throw it to you on that on that same topic. You know, where how do you, how do you how do you get your brain around like forming the I don't know the the idea of beginning with the end in mind. You know, on the on the, on the in the case of Bruce, it's weddings, right? But in your world, you're not doing so many weddings. You're doing other things, right? So, how does beginning with the end in mind factor into what you're doing, or do you just go out there with kind of a general direction and then you know execute with your skill? Well, I, I think on event photography, I, I don't do weddings anymore because I have to commit too far in advance. Uh, but I do a lot of events, and on event photography, I do, I do have the end game in mind because I have a deliverable, and uh, so I need to find out what the client wants. And what's make a sure deliverable that, on a on a like an, an event like the ones you shoot? Uh, usually a smug mug gallery okay. that they have they have access to. Okay, and then uh, you know, and then we go from there. Uh, I might do some finishing work on a dozen or so shots that they're going to use for brochures or something. But usually, yeah. smug mug gallery, yeah. So I, I you know, there I, I do need I do need to keep that in mind, and I do need to stay focused uh, during the event itself to make sure I, I get what's required. But my other shoots that I do, uh, when I do a, a portrait shoot, or when I am shooting, you know, fine art stuff, or shooting for me, or that sort of stuff. There, I don't really. Then, what I'm doing is, I just want to put myself in the in the right position to get a good shot, and I want to get myself in the right frame of mind. And then, I don't know what's going to happen most of the time. I might have a general idea, and and I do vacationing the same way. I I know basically where I'm going to sleep that night, but everything in between, not really sure about, and not That's even cool. sure when exactly I'm going to get to that hotel. And so the rest of my photography that's outside of event assignments is that way. And uh, it's just, for me, it's more exciting. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I want to I close the segment off and, uh, with one question that I want you both to answer. And this, I've, I've repeatedly gotten this question from folks from the This Week in Photo listeners, um, and they want me to ask the guests this question. So the question is, what makes a good photograph what makes a good photograph <laughs> Derek <laughs> uh, if you want the the short answer I would say it causes an emotional response nice I like that okay yeah. emotional not not uh, gastrointestinal just emotional <laughs> just yeah you feel you feel something you, it's, it's not you just don't look at it and you, you know nothing registers if you feel something, when you look at the shot, and that could be a landscape or a, a shot of a person or whatever, but if you actually feel something, then I think you're really on your way to having a good photograph. Wonderful, Bruce Clark. What uh, what makes a good shot? Oh, I would agree 100% with uh, Derek. No, I that's think cheating. It's... You can't agree with Derek. You got to come up with something oh. new. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's it is. Don't it's, copy it's off of Derek's stories paper. Come on. <laughs> It's the essence of, of what makes a great photograph is if, if it evokes an emotion from somebody. Um, you could take a thousand photographs of things, and it's that one that people 
are drawn to, and there's a reason they're drawn to, and it's usually because it evokes some sort of a strong emotion for them, either positive or negative. Um, it evokes some sort of an emotion from them. Um, you know, I recently went through a, a difficult experience here. We had a death in the family, yeah. and during during that time, I I took a very it was a hard photograph to take, but I took a, a photograph of my brother-in-law, and he was he was clutching a, a crucifix in his hand in his final days. It was a hard photograph to take, but I showed it, you know, a lot of people, and it evoked an immediate reaction. And it was just something that I, it was a quick grab with an iPhone, and probably one of the hardest but most powerful images that I've ever probably taken. Wow. And it evoked an emotion. So I think, okay. yeah, Derek's dead, dead on with that. It's a, it's, it's a photograph that evokes an emotion, makes it a great photograph. I Isn't think. that amazing? And then that shot probably would not have happened years ago, right? Because. It's not like you would have been in the moment with your DSLR already, with your compact flash card and strobe on it, right? But your iPhone was right there in the moment with you, you know, and it was effortless, and you got the shot. You had the the wherewithal to get the shot and the the competence, you know, technically to execute the shot, and now you have the shot of your life, right? Yeah. Yeah, so that's amazing stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, all right. Well, thanks, guys, for that. All right. One one quick thing that I, before we, you know, as we move on into the show, uh, I want to give a book recommendation. And this is from a t- friend of This Week in Photo, Mr. Richard Harrington, which I think you both know, um, has put out a book called Creating DSLR Video that I'm holding up right now for the folks in the Hangout. Um, this is a good book. I am uh, I'm about a third of the way through it. I'm trying to read a book a week. And that's why I'm recommending these books. I'm trying to read a it's book. Wondering what's going on with the book <laughs> it's thing. Not, it's not easy. I've committed <laughs> to reading a book a week. And these are real books. This isn't a Kindle. This isn't iBookstore. This is like paper. So, uh, yeah, it takes, a, it takes a bit. But it's awesome. If you, like, you give yourself the challenge to read a book a week, it's amazing how much knowledge and how many ideas start forming in your brain. So uh, the one that I'm reading right now and clouding my brain with ideas on is uh, creating DSLR videos from the Snapshots to Great Shot series, Great Shot series from Peach Pit, and uh, I think it goes for it goes for twenty bucks for this version, so nineteen bucks for this version, and sixteen bucks if you just want to get the ebook version to throw it on your Kindle or your iPad. So definitely check that out. It's a good book. It just it. It's one of those books that it's it's a relatively quick read, but it goes into everything you could possibly need to know about doing video with your DSLR if it supports video. And that, that includes creating audio, syncing the audio to the video, compression, all that stuff. But Richard is a master educator, and he takes it from the standpoint of – Okay, you don't want to you don't want to be editing Lord of the Rings or the Avengers anytime soon, but you want to be able to create a competent video that makes you look like you're you know what you're doing to put on YouTube, and that book takes you through it. So definitely check it out. We'll we'll link over to it in the show notes, or just search on Amazon or uh, Peach Pit site for creating DL, DSLR video by Richard Harrington. All right, guys, uh, a quick insert here, a video, uh, a video interview that we're going to put this video on the blog, but uh, we'll put the audio, obviously, in the podcast. But in this week's interview, I had a conversation with Playboy Centerfold and celebrity photographers Artie Freytag and Yarmo Pajanemi. I hope I got his name right. So we sat down on the actual casting couch 
and talked about the Playboy casting couch and talked about what it takes to become a Playboy centerfold, glamour-type photographer, where are the ins, where are the outs, what were their journeys into getting into that kind of photographer, photography and becoming so popular at it. So definitely check this out. This is, uh, this is that interview right now. Hi, I'm Frederick Van Johnson with This Week in Photo. we got a special treat for you today. I'm with two veterans in the photography industry that are sort of sandwiching me here, so I'm a little bit uncomfortable with all this talent around me. But uh, we're going to talk to these guys. They're from Playboy Magazine, amongst other things. This is Arnie and Yarmo. Um, you may have heard their names before, you know, maybe once or twice, if you've been on the planet for any length of time. But uh, we're going to talk to them about how they got into photography and how they got to the stratosphere in terms of shooting beautiful women and having millions of raving fans around the planet looking at their work each and every month. So, guys, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Great yeah. to be here. You're welcome. Thank you very much for having us. All right, this is impromptu, so we have one mic. I'm going to make this work because this is important. So, Arnie, I'm going to start with you. Okay. Um, you've been shooting for what, 30, with Playboy for 35 Playboy, years? 36 years. 36 years. 36 years. Okay. Um, let's just go back to the be- beginning for a minute here. That's okay. You can answer that if you want. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on this side anyway. <laughs> okay, so 36 years. When you started, like, if there's a photographer out there who's like, you know what, I want to be there. How do you get to be a Playboy photographer? That's the holy grail for glamour photographers. What do you do? In my case, I had a very lucky situation. I was at Brooks Institute of Photography in Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. And it's illegal to shoot news or any sexy pictures at all at Brooks. Brooks illegal? Very strict commercial. Very. You get kicked out if you do anything sexy or nudes. Yeah. I didn't really care about that because I, I just love shooting women. So... I shot girlfriends, girls in the neighborhood. Just, I love, I love beauty. I always have. Since I was five years old, I loved beautiful cars, beautiful things. You know, I could never afford them. My dad said, you have champagne taste on a beer budget. But I appreciated beautiful things, and women are one of the things I still, of course, appreciate, as we all do. So I did it more as a hobby, more as a fun thing. And I got pretty good at it, I thought. I don't know. And I, the last class at school, the teacher said, Turn in an assignment with no rules, just anything you want. So I turned in a nude, a black and white, covered up, but she was nude. Yep. And it's a great little, it's a great photograph. You know, people want, this class went crazy, like, oh my God. You know, so the teacher said, after class, you, my office. So I said, oh, I'm going to kicked out for sure. Yeah. And he goes, let me see more of this work. So I happened to have it, and he goes, okay, you should be a Playboy. I said, what? He goes, you should work at Playboy. Huh. And I go, uh, no, I, this is a hobby of mine. It's just a thing I do, you know, for fun and weekends. And never thought of it as a career. He goes, "No, you're really. This is what you're good at. You obviously have a passion for it, love for it. So go to LA for a weekend and see if you like LA." Which I didn't. I went to LA and it's August and smoggy and hot and sticky. And yeah. I stayed in a hotel where it's nothing but pimps and drug dealers and hookers and in Hollywood. I said, "I hate that place." I what hotel were you at? <laughs> Well, when you're 24 years old, you know, and there's no money, it's sun- it was Sunset La Brea. I mean, it's not a, that's where Hollywood is. It's in the middle of Sunset La Brea, right back down in the middle of Hollywood where all the studios are. It's, that's what lives around there. It's just a kind of a rough area, you know. And I'm spending like 19.95 for a hotel room, so that's what you get. You get what you pay for if you're lucky. So I stayed there, and I went back to Santa Barbara, and I said I would never live there. It's a horrible place. He goes, well, it's too bad because I have an internship at Playboy. And I moved the following weekend. Wow. And I've never left. Wow. So, so you liked it a little bit. I still don't like L.A., to tell you the truth. 
<laughs> you still don't like it? I still don't like LA. I'm sorry. I love the weather, but it's a very congested city. Anyway, that's where my career is. That's where it's where it's going to stay, and I, I had to be there. So, you know, there's worse places to live. Let's put it that way. But it wasn't if it wasn't for the vision of my instructor and him having an insight into what I was really good at, I didn't know it. But he he's a great great teacher. He guided me in the right path. I never would have thought to go there ever. Even I wouldn't even cons- like. I thought I'd be shooting for Hallmark greeting cards or shooting cars or something. Never, women never, never playmates at all. And I'm in a convention center today. I still pinch myself being surrounded by 12 playmates at our booth alone, not to mention the 50 other ones that are behind me, all of whom I've known or have shot. So that that was lightning striking, right? So so for the people that don't have lightning, what would be a conventional path into glamour photography? Like if they were like... I'm not going to talk about a path. What it takes is passion. And I've talked to a, a lot of people, especially yesterday, and we discussed that. You have to have a passion for it. You have to want it more than anything else. And I did. And I sacrificed a lot of my personal life for it to get where I'm at. It took a lot of dedication. It took, I'd go home after a centerfold, for instance, and we were shooting centerfolds, just a one photo, five days in a row, mm-hmm. with an 8 by 10 camera, a big old dark cloth. Yeah. Transparency this big, you know. Oh, yeah, the big <laughs> shutter release, yeah, yeah. And it, I, I go home and study it, like, what did I do wrong? What can I make better? I just, you know, intensely study it. Because so I wanted it to work. I wanted to be the best photographer play we ever had. And I'm determined to get there one way or another. So what it really took was a passion for it and a lot of hard work, obviously, and a lot of knowledge. But um, I was very good at lighting because I have a background in art. Mm-hmm. So I understood all different kinds of lighting. Learned more at school and learned more once I got as an intern with Ken Marcus, uh, another centerfold photographer. And I'm still learning new lighting techniques constantly, but it takes this drive and it takes passion to get there. That's great. What a great story. All right, over on this side, Yarmo. Okay, you haven't been shooting quite as long. No. But still a long time. Yeah, a, little over a, <laughs> a little over a decade, which is a long time. So, what was your path? I mean, clearly you're passionate and your work speaks for that. So, what was your path from some guy that wanted to be a photographer to a leading photographer on the planet? Well, I first uh, was in the front of the camera a lot as a male model, and um, I, I always had a vision looking at the things differently, I believed. And uh, standing in photography was a really early early thing for me. I always look at, look at the photographs, and I, I thought they were very beautiful, and I always fell in love with photographs. And, but I never really took a step in the beginning to go behind the camera. I wanted to, but I never knew really how to start it. So I remember that there was this one day, I might have been 20 years or 21 years old, and um, I went to this pawn shop and I bought this camera. Well, finally, I figured out, this is it. I'm going to be a photographer. And uh, they sold me this camera and this huge lens. I was so happy. I ran home and I tell my girlfriend at that time, I said, take your clothes off right now, right now, right now. This is it. She was terrified. She was like, whoa, what's going on here? I said, yes, yes, it's a good thing to do. I loaded the camera up with the film and shot all the rolls, I think four or five rolls or something like that. Run them to the lab, but there were nothing more than a black film. And I got there. It was very disappointing. But I realized the drive was there, and my passion was all boiling over. It was just, just amazing. And since then, I studied photography a lot. And the photographers I had a chance to meet in the fashion business where I came from. Uh, I was able to peek in in their world, 
and learn a lot of tricks and, uh, and techniques and uh, see how the business really works. And I, I, I realized that there was always something on my dad's Playboy collection that intrigued me about it. And it, was the, it wasn't a sexual thing. It was always that beauty and the lines and harmonic uh, lighting, everything. It was just something there amazing that I just went back for it always. I wanted to see a little more. Uh, well, after many, many years, I, I had a courage. I didn't know really where to start, how to get in hold of the Playboy. So I called them. And uh, I called the main line, and I said, listen, I want to talk to somebody who's in charge of uh, your photography company. And just a second, the lady says. Well, an editor picks up a phone who normally ever picks up a phone. It's always a secretary. And I explained my story, where I come from, what do I do. And I said, you know, I can do this better than you guys. I think you've got something missing here. He says, really? I said, yes. So he said, what is that that's missing? Well, I explained, you know, my vision. You have to, you have to give me a, shot, a chance to show you. So, well, he says... Well, why don't you shoot two of your girlfriends on spec and send me the film and I'll let you know how much you suck. That's exactly what <laughs> He said that? Yeah, he said that. He said wow. that. And you know, for me, that was like, all right, the door opened a little bit. Yeah. You know, at least I got my foot in there somehow. And I had a lot of confidence. And that's what I always say. Just like Arnie says, you have to have a lot of passion and a confidence on what you do. That's very important. And that's exactly what I did. I shot two girlfriends of mine, sent the film to Chicago, to the Playboy headquarters. Couple of weeks go by, never heard anything. Ah, third week go by, when I already had lost my hope. He calls me back and he says, "You know what? I've been looking at this film. How much you want for it?" I was like, "What? That was amazing." Uh, I was counting like seven hundred, eight hundred, eleven hundred, and he says, "Should be thirty-eight hundred dollars. Do you want it or leave it?" Oh, that's about right. I said. <laughs> and, uh, Let me guess. Uh, yeah, I'll take it. I'll, yeah, I'll took I'll took the money. I'll took the money. And of course, that that got me really gone home even. More excited, so I started submitting film. So, you know, you know, every couple of days, yeah. the drove the editor really crazy, and he calmed me down a couple of moments and a couple of times. And uh, and uh, four years submitting a film is when I got an opportunity. Till I got a call, and they said, "Okay, here's the deal. Let's do this the right way. We pay, and we pay for everybody. You just shoot. How's that?" So that was a really relieving, wow. a relieving type of a situation, but. It, this may sound easy. Is it easy? No, it's not. Because the fact that you had to do a lot of research and work and train your eye to look at the things the right, at the right way. There's not only that you pick up a camera, you take a couple classes, and that's it. No, you go and learn through your mistakes, and you work yourself up. And that passion, it is what is inside of you that, that, that keeps telling you things to do. It, it really has to overtake you and, 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 and sometimes you have to fall on your knees to realize and, and to grow and how to better the situations and et cetera. And Arnie's been my mentor for a long time. I stole all of, all of his images. And when I was hired to go to Playboy Studio West where he works, in the beginning he wasn't really happy. You know? <laughs> but we, we've talked over that situation. And I stole his assistant. I mean, that's a great thing to do. You want to learn something, you steal the best man's assistant. You know, it's Arnie. And worked with him and lear- learned a lot from him and, you know, I pick it back myself. Well, happy, right? <laughs> stole my assistant. He, wasn't he admitted it live on camera. Hey, I stole his assistant. Moving to my office too. Took my parking space. Yeah, I was thrilled. Took your car. Yeah, yeah right. the wife, the dog. You know. As a, ma- as a matter of his Jaguar is a very good car. You've been driving it for the last five, six days, and thanks, Arnie. <laughs> now that I'm here in Los Angeles. 
Oh, no, you haven't, but I'm giving you 50 bucks for that because if you're not returning to your place. But anyways, uh, it, was, it was a really, really you know, interesting experience for me that is still ongoing an experience. Yeah. It hasn't stopped, and I don't, I don't regret every, any, any minute of it or any second of it. It's, it's been great. And it, it is a type of thing that you're never ready. You learn, just like Ar- Arnie said. You learn all the time, no matter how long you do it. Every day you figure out something new, and every day there's signals coming from somewhere and signal you do this, do that, and try this. This is really cool, and it's never been done before. And that's, that's pretty much how I, I climbed up and backed over here. I didn't go to an art institute like Arnie. I actually went to hairdressing school, which I didn't learn photography much. Wait, wait a minute. You skipped over that part. <laughs> <laughs> you failed? <laughs> I failed. <laughs> that's awesome. So let me ask you guys. So... Um, you know, you're looking at this stuff, and, and part of what I'm getting from what you're saying is, is you're saying there's passion. There's no path. You have to have passion, right? There's no shortcut. Right. A path means that, uh, from point A to point B in a straight line. Yeah. There is no straight line. Right. So is it, is it a matter of mileage on your shutter finger? Like, the more you shoot, the better you get? What it is is, first of all, knowing what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Specifying, like, I didn't want to be a car shooter or a food shooter. I want to be a glamour shooter. Mm-hmm. So I narrowed it down in one field. You can't be good at everything. So then you learn the technique. And I, because I studied art and I understood light, which is really, really, really important. Because photography is light. Without light, there is no picture. You have to understand light. You have to understand design, composition. And all those things came from art background. And I think you have to appreciate art and learn design, composition, lighting from the great masters way before us, the Rembrandts, the Gauguin's, the Van Gogh's, the different, I mean... Even the most modern artists out there, the most abstract artists, can paint a really great picture if they wanted to, a very realistic picture. So my theory is you have to understand all the rules of light and composition in order to break them. It's okay to break the rules, not follow the normal path, but you have to understand the rules in order to break them. You just, what I see today a lot is people throwing light up where they feel like it, not caring where it goes, and, do, and it doesn't make any sense. That doesn't work. If someone knows they're doing light and they decide to put a light in an oddball place, because that's where he chose to put it for a reason, that works. Mm-hmm. It broke the rules yeah. because the guy knows what he's doing. Right. You got to know the rules in order yeah, to break them. The all right. So then, all right. One thing that I wanted to talk about before we before we close this out is this thing that we're sitting on right now. Oh yeah. This <laughs> this is a piece of history, right? Who wants to tell me about the history? This little red couch we're sitting on yes. is from our Playboy Studio West uh, Models Lounge area, yes. which every Thursday is used for testing pictures, which means anybody in the world can come in and make an appointment on Thursday morning or Thursday afternoon and have their picture taken by one of our, it could be a photographer, an assistant, whoever's around at, at a time, nude or semi-nude, mm-hmm. right? Because that's who we are. Yeah. You know, we're not Ben Homes and Gardens. That's we're right. Playboy Magazine. Mm-hmm. And the girls always pose on this couch. This so this couch is, I guess, the Playboy casting couch. I would like to take this couch home if I could. I bet you would. <laughs> <laughs> There's a certain kind of magic in this couch, I'm just saying. <laughs> no, 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 no. It'll be in my living room. All right. Uh, let's close this out, guys. So you are, we're at GlamourCon right now in Long Beach, California. Why are you guys here? What's the, what's the deal? We are here to explore possibilities. And this is, a, by the way, my first GlamourCon. Arnie has been on GlamourCon uh, before. I haven't. This is the first time. And uh, we have an educational progr- program that we do. It's called Shoot the Centerfold, dot, Shoot the Centerfold Educational Program mm-hmm. for anybody who wants to know and learn photography like we do. 
and beyond. We educate people about photography. We do seminars and workshops and a website. It is shootthecenterfold.com for those who want to begin in our world or be part of it. We also have an hour, uh, next seminar coming up in January 28th, 29th and 30th in Miami. Mm-hmm. When everybody else is freezing, in a freezing winter, we're going to be in a sunny Florida and uh, taking some pictures. I mean, we believe in, uh, in, in a good taste, which is the, uh, having a great lighting, great photography, and there's no better partner than Arnie Freitag himself. Absolutely. I hope to see everybody, yourself included, by the way, there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would love to come. I would love to come. Okay, so then, Ernie, take me through one of these, just from a high level to one of these workshops. So you're, like, um, we're sitting in a room now, people can't see it, but we're sitting in a room now that has two full-on Playboy style, style sets ready to go, minus the model, right? right. So is this and what we... 20 minutes, you might have I'm going to hang around. <laughs> I, I think he's the one who's sitting in the casting uh, I No, you don't want me on there. <laughs> so what happens? To give you an example of a normal program that we do, I'm the guy known for a million lights. Mm-hmm. Uh, my record is 100 lights for one shot. Uh, my average for a centerfold, not the, not the pictures around the centerfold, just the centerfold, is between 15 and 50, yep. right? And I don't have the time to explain why, but I do in my seminar. I explain why it takes that many lights to produce a picture that looks very natural and very real that you would never suspect had that many lights on it because I'm meticulous about lighting. So I usually build a large set and demonstrate a lot of lights. And then I take a small set and demonstrate very little light, maybe one, mm-hmm. maybe two tops. Simple. Mm-hmm. You don't need all the equipment to make a great picture. You need to have the knowledge of what to use and what not to use. It's having the tools in the bag mentally. Amen. Right? And again, knowing what to use and what not to use. So it's not the amount of equipment. It's knowing the knowledge. It's all about knowledge. And we try to pass that knowledge along. And then Yarmo does a seminar on his side, which could be more fashion-oriented or uh, an art. He does fine art as well. Mm-hmm. And he also does Playboy style. Mm-hmm. So it's a mixture of you know, Playboy, fine art, uh, fashion. It's all different styles. And we expand it into... Makeup, styling, wardrobe, set building. We discuss all the elements of what we do every day. All right, guys, we're going to close it off. Uh, where, where can people go to sign up for this workshop, see more of this stuff? Obviously, you know, Playboy and all that. But where can they go to find out more about what you guys are doing and, you know, get in on this stuff? www.shootthecentifold.com shootthecenterfold.com we'll put a we'll put a lower third on this video and we'll put links in the show notes and all that stuff for this so you'll be able to click on it definitely guys thank you so much, thank you so much. for i know you you are in the middle of getting ready for this shoot thank you so much. thank you thank you for letting me bug in or butt in and do this so Enjoy the couch. <laughs> i'm gonna sit here for a while and just <laughs> all right i'm frederick van johnson this is this week in photo and uh you know playboy what can i say you can learn more about Artie and Yarmo by visiting their websites, and you'll find them on the usual social networking sites, which we will, of course, link to in the show notes for this episode. Well, like I said before, we'll also embed the video for this interview in the blog post so that you can see the famed casting couch that I got to sit on. All right, uh, before we continue, I want to give another quick thank you to our other sponsor, and that is Squarespace.com. They're the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. 
the cool thing about Squarespace is they, you know, we've been talking about this, or people in the tech industry have been talking about this whole idea of cloud storage for several months now. And what Squarespace has been doing it for longer than people have been talking about it. Basically, their service lives in the cloud, and it's a easy-to-use UI for creating and managing your website or your blog. Nothing lives on your computer. It's all on their server. So, which means you log in with your username and password, you get things set up and you're rolling. And they've recently started giving out free domains to all annual plan customers so that you never have to pay for a domain or worry about hosting it. You know, so I know, like I, I registered a bunch of domains back in the day and I still get emails from certain domain providers that <laughs> that are that want me to renew or else the sky will implode and the earth will fall out of its orbit you know that kind of thing but you know they they basically simplify all that you know their whole goal and i, I applaud them for this because their goal is not to of course they're a company so they're trying to make money but their their goal is to is altruistic and tr- they're trying to simplify the idea of making a really killer website with all these features that other websites have without you having to learn CSS or learn all this other crazy programming in order to build your site. I mean, they've got a blog module in there. They've got form builders in there. They've got ways to integrate your Flickr stream into your website. You can integrate your Twitter feed into it, social media, all this stuff. It just goes on and on, you know, and they're, they're continually working on this stuff. So they've also got iPhone and iPad apps and Android apps so that you can update your site on the go. It goes on and on and on. You can basically the idea or the flow is you pick one of their design templates. You know, I've got hundreds of them that you can choose from. You pick one as a starting point and then you tweak it so that you can, you know, you make it your own. And if you hit a stumbling block, they've got support, a support team that's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week that you can reach out to, to help you get going and get past that stumbling block. And if you're like me, you're one of those guys that's, you know, I don't like to call support. I just like to learn on my own or check the help or go through a webinar. They've got free live webinars to help you you know, be, get the most out of your account. So it's really cool. So get it, check it out. It's, you can get a free trial. Just head over to squarespace.com. You can sign up for a free account. You don't need a credit card. Just try it out. Start playing with it. Build your website. Then if you decide to purchase it, use the offer code TWIP5. That's T-W-I-P and the number five. And they'll uh, deduct 10% off your first purchase, you know, if you got a new account. And don't forget about the free domain registration with the annual plan. So if you sign up for a year, you get the free domain registration. That's squarespace.com with the offer code TWIP5. All right, guys, it is time for some listener Q&A. This is the segment where our guests get on the hot seat and answer questions coming in via Twitter, Google+, Facebook, and our blog. And Derek, I know you got to go soon, so I want to I want to make sure we get through this. Um, yeah, yeah, we got time to do this. Question number one is on a lens recommendation, and I want you to answer it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read this one. This is from listener Jimmy Flynn. Jimmy says he's in the market for a new lens. He wants either a Canon 24 to 105 f4 with IS or the faster 24 to 70 to 8 without IS. Without the IS built in, which would you choose, Derek? Well, you know this is going to be fun because I, I want to see what Bruce says too. So you know we may end up arm wrestling over this one. <laughs> okay. But um, uh, actually, I was disappointed with uh, the new twenty-eight to seventy that it didn't have uh, IS in it. I was hoping that it would, mm. and uh, the price went up substantially too. 
I mean, the new 24 to 70 uh, on the Canon side. So I really like, I have to tell you, I I like the 24105 F4 IS a lot. And uh, it's actually one of my, my go-to lenses. And, um, you know, with the image stabilization, it, it has three-stop solid. Uh, if you, I think it's closer to four stops in, yeah. in reality. Uh, but it is uh, f4, not not f2.8. So uh, there you have it. It's also a little bit lighter, and uh, it's it's my favorite of the two lenses. Uh, the price is also uh, a more reasonable price. Okay, so which which lens? Just so I'm clear, the twenty-four one hundred five. Okay, all right, the twenty-four one hundred five f4. f4. All right, and which conflicts with my thoughts? All right, <laughs> Bruce. <laughs> Bruce, what's your thoughts? Probably conflict with Bruce's too. No, you know, actually, surprisingly, I have the twenty-four to seventy to eight, and it's the least sharp bag in my in my lens collection. Yeah. And lately, I don't know, it's been giving me trouble lately, so I got to send it in to get it calibrated. Um, I was a little disappointed when the new one came out as well. Uh, there was about a thousand dollar price jump on it, um, no IS included. So again, I don't know what um, is it, Jimmy. That, yeah, that, Jimmy uh, Flynn. Jimmy Flynn. I don't know what kind of photography Jimmy's doing or what kind of environments that he's shooting in. Obviously, if he's shooting in darker places um, quite often, like weddings and things like that, my suggestion would probably be the 24 to 70 28. But if he's not doing that and he doesn't need that 28, you know, um, fast lens, I, I actually would probably agree with Derek and go with the 24 to 105. But it really depends on what type of photography that he's doing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I yeah, of course. That's that's the bottom line. If you get the right tool for the right job, but I personally, I I would go for the twenty four to seventy because on the Nikon side, that's what I have. I have a twenty four to seventy f two eight lens, um, and uh, I just think life looks better with shallow depth of field. <laughs> I don't want to see what's in the background. I just want to see what's right in front of me. So I would always opt for a faster lens over a uh, you know a. Uh, a uh, slower lens and the range of lenses that I use. Somebody asked me this on, on uh, Google plus what lenses that I generally carry around. And it's generally the 14 to 24, the 24 to 70 and the 70 to 200, all F two eight Nikkor lenses. And that's, that's always in my black, my bag along with a 50 millimeter, uh, one four. And that's it. You know, if I'm going to a Derek Story macro workshop, then I'm going to carry the 105 micro with me. But generally, that's that's what's going with me. That's what travels with me if I'm going someplace. What about you, Derek? What's what are, what are the lenses that are with you no matter what? Uh, 16 to 35, 28, 24, 105, 4, 50, 14, 72, 100, 28, that's your portrait um, lens, right? Yeah. Well, it's just I don't know. It's just a cool lens. I just I just like that lens. What's your photo but, walk uh, lens? Uh, photo walk lens would be the twenty four to one hundred five. Okay. Yeah. Good general purpose. You can get wide. Yeah. You can get close or zoom yeah. with your legs, right? Yeah. What about exactly. you, Bruce? What's uh, what are your go to lenses? Uh, probably four main ones that I carry with me. You know, weddings and events and stuff. I have other lenses as well, but the four main ones are probably the twenty four to seventy two eight, the seventy to two hundred two eight. Um, the 51.2 and the 100 28, 100 millimeter macro 28. Nice, nice, very cool. I like that 100 millimeter 28 on that. Do you have the the current one with the yeah. with the hybrid? IS? Yes, the brand that's new a, one. It's a beautiful lens. That's it's a so cool sharp, lens. It's almost scary. 
I know. I love that lens. But it's great for portraits. I actually shoot a lot of portraits yeah. with it, yeah. as well yeah. as obviously macro work and detail work at the weddings and things. So what about strobes? Lens. I want to. I want to know which which strobes you both carry. Derek, um, I just I'm, I go pretty light on strobes. I usually just have the you know one five eighty with me and then one three twenty. Uh, I like the three twenty because it's so light and uh, it also has uh, LED light in it, so th- that's pretty fun. But uh, most of the time, I'm just on location. I'm just doing, you know, one or two lights. Uh, I love the light sphere. <laughs> I put the light sphere on it all the time. And then I like the flash benders, too, the rug flash benders. Very cool. And, uh, you know, every now and then I've been known to carry a ring light around. I like, the you know, that, that funky uh, Orbis ring light, you know, that's mm-hmm. great for uh, portrait shooting. So you're not, uh, you don't have the Gary Fong yeah, I have the Gary Fong. I got the I got the old one, the one that looks like a you know old fashioned uh, Tupperware lamp. <laughs> yeah, the Tupperware thing. That thing, though, I tell you, I get good shots with it. You yeah. know, because you can point it up for really soft, or you can put the diffuser on it and then point it directly at the at the subject. Yep. I use it a lot for event photography because I don't have time to futz around with the lighting. Very cool. Hey, Derek, for the folks in the hangout, I want to show some solidarity solidarity for Derek's story. Uh, so I'm going to. Uh, some. <laughs> <laughs> I'm oh, I love that. Put That's some so glasses cool. on. So, for That's the folks so that are cool. listening to the audio stream, you're going to have to watch the video to see what I just did to my face. But uh, I am oh, now man. channeling Derek's story right now. Oh, this is like TNT where they do the cool things with Kenny and Charles. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like Derek now. Bruce, you were uh, left out. Now, Bruce has a yeah. mustache. Very cool. I have a mustache now. That's awesome. So, Bruce, we'll what, what's, yeah. your, uh, what's your strobe? What's the strobe that lives in your? bag um i have a couple of 580 x2s uh 430 and i actually just picked up the new 600 rt yeah but i'm waiting right. for the transmitter to come in so very cool <laughs> so you for that whole flash kit you dropped like what a grand oh god yeah and then i also have strobes too with uh Jeez. portable portable battery that i just it's, yeah it's i hope that stuff's cool. paying for itself man <laughs> oh yeah i hope so too <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, let's let's jump into the next question real quick here. Um, and this one's really interesting. Listener Adam Silver. Hey, Adam. He um, he wrote in and he says he has a friend from way back in the day that wants him to shoot her wedding, but her budget is only eight hundred dollars. He normally charges more, and he wants some advice on what to do. The upside is she's quite attractive. Uh, and has done some acting slash modeling, so he's confident that he'll get some great shots for his portfolio. But eight hundred dollars, right, Bruce, you're the wedding shooter of the crew. Yeah, what, would you do it? So run away. Well, I don't know how hot is she. <laughs> he said, run away. <laughs> yeah, but she's getting married. Well, yeah, okay, true. She's, yeah, she's um, off the market. Yeah. Come on, doesn't she's matter. She's not going to be thinking about a photographer. She's going to be thinking about her husband. That's right. Yeah, I yeah. I would politely, I would probably politely decline. It's it's tough when you get, and you know, we've had this before. We're friends, or you know, distant family members want you to shoot their wedding, and it's a difficult. You, you put yourself in a bit of a difficult situation because, <clears throat> for one thing, it can kind of hurt the the friendship possibly, um, and. Yeah, I would say run away. <laughs> Play, run away. Politely find a way to decline. <laughs> yeah. That would be my, my impulse. So what about you, uh, Derek? What's your, what's your policy on sh- <laughs> shooting? For, what are you laughing at my eye patch now? Come on. Uh, what's your yeah. policy on shooting friends and family? We can just talk like pirate now. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I really don't. There's a couple things. You know, one is... I think there's a certain obligation to the photography community uh, to uh, you know not 
not go too low in all honesty. And, um, you know, and then what did she tell her friends that you shot for 800? And, right. And she, she's going to be focusing not on you, not in giving you great portfolio shots. She's getting married. She's thinking about her husband. You know, she's, uh, and all that. So, uh, unless you're really desperate for portfolio shots, I, I would, I would say I really need to stick to my price on this. Yeah. And how do you how do you handle that? I mean, I know there's a, a lot of photographers out there that get, and me included, that get solicited from fam, friends and family all the time saying, "Hey, we'll pay your rate. You know, just just you know, just come over. We want you to do it. We know you're a good photographer." But generally, well, my my mo different. has been no. I generally yeah, yeah. say I decline and say, you know what? I I try not to shoot friends and family because if I screw it up, I damage the relationship permanently. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, I mean, family. Obviously, I I I throw the 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 price book out the door and just yep. you know try to work with the family but i i mean i think my impression is that this isn't friend or family this is just um or someone that he's not that close to so yep. uh, try yeah. to try to avoid it this is like you don't want to lend money to friends uh, oh don't even get me started on that i got burned by that yeah. <laughs> just, these are all tough things i mean shakespeare talked about this a long time ago yeah yeah yeah. Live and learn. All right, guys. Uh, it's time for the picks of the week. This is the segment where you guys can pick anything as long as it is, is somehow related, even tangentially, to photography. Derek Story, what's your pick of the week? Oh, so I just talked about this on the blog today, and I just tested it out. It's a new thing called the IO shutter. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a cable, essentially, that goes from your the headphone jack in your iPhone to the shutter release jack on your camera and then they have an app they actually have two apps for it and you can do things like uh you know bulb timer uh time lapse uh clap you know sound trigger i mean they have a whole variety of of things and it works pretty well i tested it on on both a a canon and um and then also my pentax k5 which i also like and it, it works great so what now instead of carrying these big old programmable shutter release things for your uh, time lapse or long exposures, you just have this little thin little cable that goes in your camera bag because you got your iPhone in your pocket already. Cool. Downside to it is that it's sixty nine bucks, mm-hmm. and uh, there's two apps, and the 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 light version is free, but the one that you're really going to want is the programmable Pro version that allows you to just control everything, and that they're charging nine ninety nine for that. So I'm a little disappointed in that because I figure if you already already shell out sixty nine bucks for the cable. They should throw in the pro app, but uh, that being said, uh, even with the light app, it's it's pretty cool. It's worth a look. So all in, you're looking at 80, 80 bucks to get the IO shutter that's fully decked and ready to go. That's fully decked. Yes, okay. yes. Right. And it's a and of course you know the Canon in on my end of the world, the Canon uh, version is going to cost you more than that. So yeah, yeah. All right, cool. The IO shutter, and we'll IO shutter. Yes. All right, Bruce. What's your pick of the week? So my pick is something I just ran across the other day. I don't have any first-hand experience with it, so I would love to get the listeners, if anybody has used this service, to leave their comments on the show and tell me what they think of it. Um, <clears throat> but it's basically it's an online backup service. It's called Mosaic Archive, and it's specifically targeted at Lightroom and Aperture uh, libraries, basically. And it's a way to do online backup of your Lightroom. And there, it looks like they're going to have a cloud viewer where you'll be able to, to view your Lightroom catalogs and images on uh, right from your iPad. Mm-hmm. 
and um, some other nifty features. So it, it looks interesting. Um, it's a bit pricey. Uh, it starts at about 12 bucks a month for 400 gigs of storage. Um, so, I mean, there's certainly lots of other online backup solutions out there, but this is one of the first ones that I've seen that's specifically targeted at, you know, Lightroom or Aperture users for backup. So I'd be interested to hear from maybe Mosaic themselves or, or maybe uh, our TWIP listeners, if they've used this service or are familiar with it, what they, what they think. Yeah. Yeah. So how much was it? What's the total? It ranges, uh, they have an enthusiast package that's like 12 bucks a month for 400 gigs of storage up to 175 a month that gives you 11 terabytes of storage. Wow, very cool. All so, right, well, we'll link over to that. And yeah, if you're, if you're listening to this and you've, uh, you have some experience with that, definitely write a comment in the post for this episode and let us know what you think. All right, my, uh, my pick of the week, real quick, is from our friends over at Google, which are making this Hangout possible. Thank you, Google. And the YouTube stream and all that stuff. Uh, but they're giving our listeners, the This Week in Photo listeners, a special and generous discount for those that are interested in attending their new Google Plus conference for photographers. So for some bird told them that a lot of people listen to This Week in Photo. So they wanted to give you guys something to incite you to come out to uh, to San Francisco and hang out with all the great names that are going to be at that conference. So, you know, initially they said uh, they they didn't want me to share how much they were giving off the, the ticket price, which I think is like three hundred and something bucks, three fifty or something. Um, but they're going to kick down fifty bucks for the TWIP listeners, and this is not like a okay, they're giving everybody fifty bucks. This is a TWIP listener. Thing So if you're listening to this show in our Hangout or you're listening to it in the podcast um, or otherwise or on the YouTube feed later, just go to the URL uh, that we'll link to. Um, and I'll try to put a link. We'll definitely put a link to it in the show notes for this. But if you go to if you're listening right now, you can go to FVJ, my initials, dot M-E. So FVJ dot M-E slash Google Conference. So FVJ.me slash Google Conference has a short URL that will bring you to a sort of an exclusive sign-in page that Google put together for us really quickly so they could capture the names of people that want to grab this this discount. They're going to turn it off soon, so if you're interested in it, you probably want to head over there right now. So definitely check that out. Again, that's FVJ.me slash Google Conference. And if you know how to spell that stuff, you're ahead of the game. All right. Uh, with that, we're at the end of the show, guys. Uh, Derek's story, where can people go to find out more about you and the stuff you're working on, your workshops, and all that magic? My online world is thedigitalstory.com, and everything runs through there. So that's that's a great place to start. Very cool. Any upcoming workshops that we need to know about? Yeah. Or are they all then, full? Uh, They're full, right? Well, I know. Well, the next one's full. Uh, uh, we're going out to Infineon Raceway, and we're going to shoot action photography for wow. And you yeah. have you have a waiting list for that stuff, or is it just like yeah, when you announce yeah, it? Yeah, I just... have I, the the rest of the workshops for the summer are the waiting lists are pretty long, and then I send out you know reservations to them first before I open it up to the public. So probably most of the summer stuff will be booked, um, but you know later on in the fall, uh, there's there's still going to be some openings for those. And just go to the workshops uh, link on the site; it's right up at the top there. You can see what's going on and get on a reserve list, which is the best thing. Excellent. Very cool. Thanks, Derek. All right. And Mr. Bruce Clark, where can people go to find out what you're up to and see some of your work? 
Uh, probably visit uh, my website, which is momentsindigital.com, and then slash blog is the blog. Um, they can follow me on Twitter, uh, Bruce Clark, with an E on the end of Clark, or bruceplus.com will take you to my Google Plus page. Um, I'm also teaching a workshop coming up, so oh. people who are in Edmonton, <clears throat> if you're in Edmonton or surrounding area, I'm doing a workshop with my friend Sean and uh, on off-camera lighting. So we're doing an off-camera lighting at the end of May. So Very cool. I didn't know about that. Hey. Come on out. Definitely link to that in the show notes, man. That's cool. Sure. Congratulations. Thanks. All right. Uh, and to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, be sure to check out thisweekinphoto.com. Also, please support us by leaving us a comment in iTunes. We read each and every one of those. And also, speaking of iTunes, be sure to check out our TWIP podcast app. It's a handy way to keep up with the shows as soon as they are released. And if you're looking for me... Frederick Van Johnson. You can find me at the various uh, things and the various things I'm working on at my site, frederickvan.com. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a PixelCore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.